Welcome to the show. From All Good Tales, it's Media Moments, a show about those strange, weird, unique, and often bizarre times when the world changed forever in an instant. I'm Jack Murray. In this episode, we examine how to create fear and the lengths that one storyteller went to in 1938 to make a media moment that would change the world forever. Once in a blue moon, a moment comes along that enables us to see the future. Its very happening opens a window, and as if like magic, we can see decades ahead. This is one of those moments. It's October 30th, 1938, the night before Halloween. It was mid-afternoon when 23-year-old Orson Welles arrived in the CBS radio studios in New York. His Mercury Theatre Company has been broadcasting since the summer. Their work, adapting literary classics as radio plays, has been very well received. The Columbia Network takes pleasure in presenting Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on the air in the second of a unique new summer series of nine dramatic productions. The first time in its history that radio has brought to the country an entire theatrical institution. Columbia is proud to welcome Orson Welles to its roster of stars and to give him the opportunity of bringing to the air those same qualities of vitality and imagination that have made him the most talked-of theatrical director in America today. On this day, the naturally bombastic Welles was more irascible than usual. At that moment, commercial radio was a new medium. Welles believed it was far more powerful than anyone had yet realised. He believed it had the power to assault the senses like nothing before. He wanted to perform a radio play so real that the story would seem to be happening. He wanted to scare people. As a special for Halloween, they adapted the H.G. Wells science fiction novel The War of the Worlds and set it in America. In his search for realism, Wells lost his temper, tore up scripts and forced endless rewrites. Earlier that week, lead writer Howard Koch wanted to abandon the project altogether because he thought it was too dull. The story would tell the live attack of the Earth by Martians through a series of breaking news bulletins which had to be more authentic than anything that had gone before. Then at 8pm on October 30th, 1938, they went live across America. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Toronto, Canada. Professor Morse of Macmillan University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45pm and 9.20pm Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a special bulletin from Trenton, New Jersey. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m. a huge flaming object, believed to be a meteorite, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles, and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth. In this moment, the media was changed forever. The power of radio to transform how we think, how we feel and how we act was realised. But how did it really happen? And is the story of the War of the Worlds exactly what it seems to be? Let's go back a few years to where it all began for Orson Welles, in Ireland, in Dublin's Gate Theatre. In 1931, after his father's death, the then 16-year-old Welles went on a trip of discovery to Europe with his inheritance. He longed to paint and lived for a while in Connemara, Sitting in a pub one day, he looked out the window and saw a local man passing on a donkey and cart. The impressionable Wells was very taken by the scene. He was also said to be a huge fan of Galway writer Porrick O'Connor, 
and soon acquired his own four-legged transport, all set to tour the west of Ireland, selling his art. But the money and the romance soon ran out. He headed to Dublin. The brash young Wells strode into the Gate Theatre and claimed to be a Broadway star. I found myself in Dublin in the autumn of that year without what are technically referred to as financial resources. I had a few shillings, but I blew those on a good dinner and a ticket to the theatre. The theatre was the gate. And on the stage I recognised, in a minor part, a young fellow that I'd known in the west of Ireland for a while. He was a folklorist. I went backstage to say hello to him. And he introduced me to the directors, Edwards and McLeamore. And I heard myself introducing myself to them as a noted actor from the Broadway stage. Wells' bravado proved to be very fruitful and he began to learn his craft before Irish crowds. He recalled his debut many years later. This is the Gate Theatre in Dublin. First night audiences are always an experience. In this theatre I faced the very first, first night audience of all. On his return to New York, he joined the Federal Theatre Company before starting the Mercury Theatre Company and staging shows on Broadway. Within a year of this, he was on radio for CBS. Wells was industrious by nature, and by 21, he became a well-known star. He was part of an elite club of radio actors who commanded salaries second only to movie stars. In the summer of 1938, CBS approached the Mercury Theatre Company to produce a 13-week run of radio plays. When the run was extended, Wells, now in bonus territory, wanted to try something different. He wanted to make a mark. He settled on H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Let's go back to where we left Orson Welles, airing The War of the Worlds on October 30th, 1938. Its particular brand of panic left an impression on listeners. Something's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. This end of the thing is beginning to flake off. The top is beginning to rotate like a screw and this thing must be hollow. Once the play had finished, the new reality its terror had created was realised quickly. The following morning, the front page headlines screamed off the newsstands. Fake radio war stirs terror through US in the New York Daily News. Radio fake terrifies nation in the Chicago Herald and Examiner. And even the New York Times, the paper of record, went big on the War of the Worlds with radio listeners in panic, taking war drama as fact. In this atmosphere of frenzy and panic, an unkempt and jaded Wells held a press conference to fill the vacuum. The date of the broadcast, the date of the broadcast was 1939, and it seemed, came rather as a great surprise to us that a story, the fine H.G. Wells classic, fantasy, the original for so many succeeding comic strips and adventure stories and novels about a mythical invasion by monsters from the planet Mars should have had so profound an effect upon radio listeners. But was there a real panic? Were the American public seized by terror when they heard the War of the Worlds? On closer examination, all is not what it seems. Certainly some listeners mistook Wells' work for a real invasion, but they were few and far between. One easily led listener fired a few rounds of buckshot into a water tower in New Jersey. Others called CBS or the local police, but not the thousands the paper had reported. There was no hysteria. Listeners recognised the War of the Worlds for what it was, 
a brilliant piece of radio drama. That is those who bother to listen at all. It aired at the same time as the popular Chase and Sanborn Hour on NBC. As a result, its audience was comparatively small. For the newspaper industry, the War of the Worlds was an opportunity too good to pass up. Still reeling from the crash in advertising in 1929, they wanted to exact revenge. In their eyes, it was proof that radio was the shoddy, untrustworthy ruse they had always said it was. Here was a national broadcaster, in prime time, duping the public for ratings. The newspapers wanted to put a stop to it. The reports of panic were at best exaggerated and at worst made up. Yet the myth of mass panic grew and as time passed, there was a collective misremembering and fantasy somehow became a fact. Like all fake news, the War of the Worlds sounded like something that could have been true. And if it could be true, maybe it was true. Doesn't that sound familiar? Media Moments is brought to you by All Good Tales. There's only one way to resonate, and that's with the story. If you need to connect with your audience, we can help you. We help organisations create beautifully crafted stories through podcasts, brand newsrooms, PR, presentations and strategy. Find us on at All Good Tales on Twitter or email jack at allgoodtales.com. Media Moments can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Acasts and anywhere you get your podcasts. This episode was written by me, Jack Murray. Sound supervision is by Al Dunn at Unique Media. Join us next time when we hear the extraordinary story of a kidnapping and how it created a media moment that would change the world forever. Forever.